0: Thanks, Dave. So in Romania, there's a village. In the village is this uh, house. Yep, that one. And uh, in this house, uh, there's one bed, uh, one pillow, uh, one table, one chair, one plate, one set of utensils, one book, I believe, the Bible. Uh, no television, no radio, no board games, no card games. No magazines, newspapers, none of that stuff. That's what's in the house is what's there. And what they call it is the Bertrand Matrimonial Prison. And so if a couple went to the local bishop and said, I want to get a divorce, he would sentence them to the matrimonial prison. And they would go there. One place I read up to six weeks, another place I read from two to three weeks, I think the six weeks may have been so they could go in and claim one of the bodies. not sure. But during that time, the couple was expected just to work things out. And over the course of 300 300 years, there was one divorce. So, I'm here to announce today the launching of Kalkaska Church of Christ's new adventure. We're going to build a matrimonial prison. I'm just kidding. Wouldn't be a bad idea, though, would it? We're going to talk about a subject that's a very sensitive. Um, I actually have learned something new about this subject, this topic, that I didn't know um, two weeks ago. And uh, it's a sensitive subject because we're going to ask the question, what does the Bible say about divorce, and what does it say about divorced people remarry? And... Uh, I think some of the things that I've discovered may surprise you, it surprised me, and I just want to share them with you from what we see in God's Word about what it says about this topic. We have to wrestle with this when it comes to this whole idea of marriage and stretching ourselves to have a better marriage at the end of this year than we have right now. So I'm going to ask uh, two things of you. Um, The first is I'm going to ask you to extend me some grace. Um, if I say something that offends you, if I say something that hurts your feelings, if I say something that just makes you mad, um, don't just go running off and finding another church or never coming back to church. Um, make sure you make an appointment, let's sit down and let's talk. Or I'll be around after church if you want to talk about those things. My actual email address is andy at um, That's how serious this is. I'm not giving you Tim's today. All right. That If you need to communicate with me, please uh, make sure that, that you do so. That's, that's number one. Um, the second thing is, uh, I forgot what the second thing was. So we'll just dive in. All right. Um, I did, I just completely forgot. I know there was two things and I forget what it it was. Um, so I'm going to pray for us, uh, because again, this is just a very uh, sensitive subject and topic and not that we don't always need prayer, but we could really use it right now. Okay. Uh, father, um, this subject, this topic is just a very sensitive one because I know it affects a lot of people in our church in our community and in our world, and uh, we want to be Bible people. We want to be true to your word and understand it the best that we can and teach it the best that we can. And, Father, if there's any truth, um, if there's any untruth coming out of my mouth, I just pray that you'd strike me mute um, because I just want to speak the truth of your word. And I pray that that's what, ha- what happens today, that we speak from this subject, this topic, truthfully from your word so that we can wrestle with it and understand it more fully. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Alright, so here's some things that we need to understand. Um, There's a couple of passages of Scripture that speak to divorce in particular. Um, One is Matthew 19. It has a parallel passage in Mark chapter 10. We're going to wrestle with the Matthew chapter 19 um, part of that today. Um, There's also another one in 1 Corinthians 7 we'll get to later. Um, And there's also a passage of Scripture in Malachi that we want to go to uh, as well today in Malachi chapter 2. Uh, but it's important that we understand the context, and I mean the full context, of what's happening in these passages of Scripture, and in particular, Matthew 19. Matthew 19 comes up because we're going to read some things that Jesus says, and we're like, whoa, that's pretty black and white. But when you understand the context of the passage of Scripture, it's not as black, as white, black and white as it seems. The context of Matthew chapter 19 is that Jesus is traveling around. He's uh, heading eventually toward Jerusalem to be crucified. And he has this group of people that just want him out of the picture. Um, we, refer, we call them Pharisees. That's what they are. They're Pharisees, uh, religious leaders. They just want Jesus out of the picture. The problem is that he's not only threatening their power, he's not only threatening their way of life, but he's also threatening um, the Jewish way of life. Because as more and more Jewish people come to follow Jesus, and they start to do things differently and start to cause an uproar, that's when Rome's going to get involved. And when Rome gets involved, it's not a good idea. When I worked for Target, we never liked to hear the words, the airplanes are up in the sky. Because that meant that some bigwig from Minneapolis jumped on the private plane and they're heading in our direction. We never liked to hear that, right? Um, Jesus was just causing a stir Imagine if you work in the schools Maybe you're an administrator, principal, teacher And you have that one student Who's got that one parent That calls every single day We want hot lunches Or here's hot lunches We want cold lunches Here's cold lunches We want hot lunches we're going to take a field trip. Why would you spend the taxpayer's money? We're not going to take any field trips. Why doesn't my kid ever get to do anything, right? That parent who whatever you say wants to know the opposite and all the teachers and all the principals, and the superintendent can only think one thing. When is this kid graduating, right? When is he just out of here? Well, take that parallel, if you will, with Jesus. And they're just looking at him saying, when is this guy leaving? When is he going to be out of here? Because the difference in this scenario, this situation is that Jesus is speaking truth but they want the truth out of there. They want to eliminate it eliminated. So in Matthew chapter 19, they're trying to trap Jesus into saying things that they'll be able to use against him. And if two or more witnesses are there listening to Jesus say something that they might find as blasphemous or against his word, they can take it to the temple courts and he can be accused and he can be tortured and eventually crucified if they can find some wrongdoing in Jesus. So they want to trap him with these different questions. And in Matthew 19, the question that's going to come up, as we're going to read it here in a second, is about divorce. Is it okay for divorce to take place? Well, the fuller context of the passage, and again, this is something I just learned a couple of weeks ago, because I thought, man, something doesn't seem right about this passage. I just want to know more about it. There were two schools of rabbinical thought at that time. There was a guy named Hillel and a guy named Shammai. And they lived early or late AD... Late B.C., sorry, early A.D., but their schools of thought, their rabbinical teaching, influenced all the other rabbis in how they taught the Torah, how they taught the law and the prophets. It influenced them. Hillel was known more as a guy that was more liberal in his thinking. He wanted to broaden things. The title of this sermon is Making the Easy Greasy, and he wanted to make the easy greasy. He wanted to take the easy, simple black and white passages and wanted to make them really slippery so that we could figure out how far we could go to get to the line without stepping over the line so that it would be sin. And that's the way his teaching was. He was a guy that grew up in a poor background. Um, He wanted to go to rabbi school. He wanted wanted to learn. He didn't have the money, so he would climb up on top of the roof of the school where there was a skylight coming in so the light could come in the class, and he would just sit there on top of the roof listening to the teachers. That's how badly he wanted to know God's Word. Well, the other guy was a guy named Shammai, and Shammai was much more legalistic and more strict in his teaching. It's black or it's white, period. That's how it goes. And there's one verse in particular that comes to mind um, that really was a dispute that was taking place in the minds of the religious leaders in the different rabbinical schools and the difference that Hillel and Shammai had when it came to divorce. And it comes in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency... You can underline that in your Bible if you want to. Some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. So at that time, if you wanted a divorce, it's, I want a divorce, here's a certificate, she walks out the house, and you're divorced at that moment. No lawyers, no other stuff, that's how it took place. But this phrase, some indecency, was where the argument came in. Shammai said, indecency means if she committed adultery then that's when you can issue a a certificate of divorce and the marriage could be over. uh, Hillel, on the other hand, took it to mean much broader. That word some is actually any or um, it could be broadened to mean other things. And so he said, even if your wife burns the toast in the morning, you can send her packing. For any reason. She looked at you differently. She looked at somebody in the marketplace and you didn't like it. You could divorce her for any reason. For any reason. All right. So when the Pharisees came to Jesus, wanting to trap him, they were asking a question. But basically the question was this. Do you side with Hillel or do you side with Shammai? And let's get to that here in a second. Matthew 19, 1 through 6. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Large crowds followed Jesus everywhere because he was healing. He was doing miraculous things. And he was teaching in a way that people were just blown away by by the words that he spoke from the word. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? What are they referring to? Deuteronomy 24.1. Do you side with Hillel on this? That any cause can be a reason for divorce. Or do you side with Shammai on this, that there's only uh, certain cases like uh, infidelity that you can can divorce? Jesus answered, however, kind of sidestepping the question for a minute. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. We looked at that passage of scripture last week, didn't we? And we talked about preparedness for marriage. And so Jesus hears the question and he says, have you not read? I mean, you're you're attacking me from the how can we end a marriage as opposed to how can we keep a marriage together? You're trying to make this easy, wonderful thing that God has brought together with a man and a woman to become husband and wife. And you're making it greasy. You're making it slippery, saying, how can I get out of this thing as opposed to celebrating what it was that God did? They're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And we talked last week about when a man leaves his father and mother for the sake of marriage. Right? He's prepared. He's ready to provide for his wife. He's ready to uh, put uh, shelter and protect and do all of those things. And he's ready to step away from his parents. And he holds fast to his wife so that nothing can come between you and your spouse. That's how tight you are. That's how tight you are. You become one. You become one. And if God has brought that union together, no one is to separate it. God's plan was not for divorce, but for staying the course. His plan was not for divorce, but for staying the course. God's plan also was that sin would not come in the world. God's plan also was that Adam and Eve would work the garden and everything would be wonderful. But it's not what happened. God's plan for the people of Israel was what? I'm going to be your God. You be my people. Here's all the commandments and follow them. Guess what? They didn't do it. Every chapter in the Bible almost has people who are rebelling and rejecting God's instructions and God's will and God's ways for his people. In the same way the Pharisees came testing Jesus, saying how can people get out of their marriage when Jesus wants to say you're looking at it the wrong way? You should be looking at your spouse saying, How do we work through this so that we can remain married? Because if God brought it together, and a man's ready to leave his father, and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two become one, why are we even talking about divorce? In Malachi two, thirteen through sixteen, it reads this way There's another very popular passage that comes to mind when people talk about divorce. My translation doesn't translate it the way many, uh, like King James Version does, for example. We'll get to that in a second. But this is what God, through Malachi, spoke to the Israelites. He said, The second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts, So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Now in that passage, in many translations, it says what? God hates divorce. Guess what? God hates lying too. And he hates adultery. And he hates murder. And he hates coveting. And he hates it when we take his name in vain. Right? Divorce, yes. God is not a fan of it. And that's not what his plan was from the get-go when people get married. That wasn't what his plan was. But what's the real issue? It's a hard issue. It's a hard issue as to whether we're going to stay the course or we're going to look for an easy way out. All right, Matthew 19, 7 through 9. So they said to them, all right, so this is the Pharisees uh, saying to Jesus, Why then, so after Jesus said, you guys got it all wrong, you're looking for a way out instead of looking for a way in and working things out. Because where else in Scripture do you hear Jesus say about a particular behavior that if you do this, it's perpetual sin and there's nothing you can do about it? There's only one unforgivable sin stated in the Bible, right? You know what that is? It's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. It's another message for another day. And quite frankly, I wish I understood that one better than what I do. And so it he's bothered me that why would Jesus point to divorce when there's all kinds of other sins? Why that one particular behavior would he would he call that one out? Because if someone divorces and they remarries, he's basically saying you're committing adultery every time you make love to your spouse, and that just didn't it just didn't seem right because God's grace is sufficient for everything, His power is amazing, His power is made strong in our weakness, and that just really it just really got to me. So when I studied that whole thing about Hillel and Shammai, this is what I believe Jesus is saying. I side with Shammai. It's not for any reason. There's only particular reasons that you should get divorced. He said, first, you should try to salvage the marriage. Why? Because God brought it together. And what God has brought together, no one should separate. But when there does become infidelity, in another instance we'll talk about here in a second... Those are grounds, not for any reason, not for burning the toast, not for looking at you sideways, not for putting the toilet paper under instead of over, which we all know is the correct way to do it, right? It's not for any reason. And what if in that moment Jesus was simply saying to them, I side with Shammai? Because marriage is important and marriage is instituted by God. And it's not something to be taken lightly, either the coming together of or the separating of either. But Jesus emphasized tearing apart is a result of the heart. Tearing apart is a result of the heart. Jesus told the Pharisees, he's like, listen, Moses gave you that reason to be able to divorce because your hearts were hard. Where does that language sound familiar from? Doesn't that sound like Pharaoh? Pharaoh's heart was made hard. The stubbornness that we have. And aren't we stubborn in a whole lot of things and not just marriage? I mean, how many of you are the stubborn person in your relationship? Don't raise your hand for that, right? Your spouse is elbowing you, know? Yeah, we all have that stubborn person, and it's not me, of course, but it's uh, somebody else. Yeah, we have this stubbornness about us that we don't want to change. And the people of Israel were very stubborn, and Pharaoh was stubborn, saying, "I'm not going to let the people go," and he was stubborn about that. And Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, "Moses gave you that whole thing, that reason that you could get divorced because of your hardness of heart, your stubbornness to not want to follow Him." And to experience everything that God wanted you to experience, and yes, even in even in, Mary, in marriage. So again, Deuteronomy 24, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. So there's adultery that's taken place, according to Shemai, and what Jesus was saying, I agree with. He writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, sends her out of his house... Most certificates of divorce that they would issue, they actually found one um, uh, in the second or third century. It was a certificate of the divorce for a man named Joseph and a lady named Mary. Not that one, but for a Joseph and a Mary. Those were common names. And at the bottom of any certificate they've ever found or uncovered, it said that you're free to remarry. Is what it would say, just out of curiosity if you were. He writer her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, sends her out of his house, and she departs out of the house. And so there's this area of indecency, so there's adultery that takes place. And Jesus is agreeing with Shammai in that, is that that is a reason that people will get divorced. Does it have to be the reason? No. And I believe with Hillel, uh, he actually believed that if there was adultery, you had to get divorced. But Shammai was not saying that, he was just saying that there's a reason for it. And the same with Jesus. He's agreeing with that saying. It doesn't have to be the reason, but that may be a reason that people divorce. The other reason that I believe is biblical, and as Exodus 21, verse 10. If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. I would call that one cruelty. I would call that one cruelty. I know that there are marriages in our world today in which um, people have, there's physical abuse taking place. And I don't believe that God is calling you to stay in a marriage where your life is in danger from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, if you're able ever to sleep in that situation. There's also in Exodus 21, they're saying, listen, if they take another wife, and um, at that time, if a wife didn't have a husband, she was going to starve to death. That was their culture. And so he says, if you're cruel to your wife that you decided you didn't want to be married to, and you took another wife then it's a sin for you to not give them food, not give them shelter, and to make sure they're taken care of. And again, I would call that the sin of cruelty. And so in those two instances, if somebody is in a marriage relationship where there is cruelty, there is neglect, there is abuse taking place, I believe that Jesus is saying that's an instance where people would tear apart something that God brought together. And it's sad and we don't like it, but... We don't also want to keep people in harm's way. Adultery is that other situation. Adultery is when someone's stubborn heart says, I don't, want to, I don't want to stick to the vows that I made before God, but I want to break that vow to go try to make another vow. And Jesus is saying, when you break a vow, and you go toward another, that that could be a reason also that someone would get Divorced. So again, it opened my eyes to this passage because I looked at it for so many years as saying, Jesus said, listen, if you divorce and you remarry, you're committing adultery. But when I looked at it in the proper perspective, in the context with which it was written, Jesus was simply saying, yes, I side with Shammai. You don't get divorced for just any reason. In fact, you need to step back and take a deep breath and say, okay, what does it look like to stay in this marriage because we made a covenant before God, And if it's something that he brought together, who are we to separate or break this thing apart? So then we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, another very popular marriage chapter in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The context of this also is important because we not only have Paul writing a letter to the church in Corinth, answering questions that they have for him. But Paul, probably like the disciples and any followers of Jesus, thought what was going to happen at any minute. Jesus was coming again. Imagine being the disciples and Jesus said, and I'm coming back soon. And you wake up, you're like, I wonder if it's today. I wonder if it's next week. You know what? Remember when you did that thing on that such and such and such a town? That'd be a cool anniversary if he came back on that day. Maybe it'll be next month. Maybe 2024 will be the year of Jesus' return. Well, Paul, like the disciples, was thinking, he said he's coming back soon and we don't know when, But we have to be prepared for it at any moment. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is saying to all the people about their marriage relationships, I want you to remember that Jesus could be coming back at any minute. So whatever energy you are throwing in to try to break up a marriage, keep a marriage together, stay single, get married, go hunting, get on the dating websites, whatever, it's probably a waste of time because Jesus is coming back before you even walk down the aisle. And I think that's the kind of urgency that he was stirring up in the people's hearts. So in verses 10 through 17 is where I'm going to pick up. To the married I give this charge. This is Paul again talking. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. So what's he saying in that instance? If we have an unbelieving spouse and a believing spouse... What does it look like is that grounds for divorce? And Paul would say you should stick with them. If you're in a non-abusive relationship, a non-neglectful relationship, and adultery is not taking place in particular, and even in the adultery situation, you you may not, right? That's something to, to work through. He's like, no, stay married and try to work things out. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him, this is my rule in all the churches. So up to this point, what Paul is saying to the people of Corinth is this. Unbelieving spouse, or believing spouse, living with an unbelieving spouse, stick with it. Stick with it. Because you don't know that by your actions, by your words, that God may use those things so that your unbelieving spouse may become a believer. And you will have accomplished what he set out in Matthew 28 to say, go make disciples of all nations. You can make a disciple in your very own home if you're a believer and you have an unbelieving spouse. And he says, stick with it. He says, but if that unbelieving spouse sets you free, then you're free. If they say you're done, you're gone, I don't want to be married to you anymore, and that's an unbelieving spouse saying that, and you have no choice, you leave, and you're gone. Well, verses 25 through 28. These are important Said this. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So Paul is saying, this is a word that's not directly from the Lord, but I think I'm a reliable source on this. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. So again, Jesus is coming back soon. If you're single, stay single. Married, get married. Or if you're betrothed, uh, get married. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Now listen to this. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Paul said marriage and divorce are about calling and falling. They're about calling and falling. The translation of this passage sounds like this. Paul says if you are in a marriage relationship and you are set loose or you are set free, for you then to go remarry is not a sin. We might say, Well that Andy, that conflicts or conflicts with Matthew 19. I say, No, in Matthew 19, Jesus was saying, I side with Shemai, that we should be fighting for marriage, and it's not just for any reason. It's not, hey, Andy just gave me permission to go out and divorce my spouse today. That's not what Andy's given you today, okay? But what I am saying in Scripture is that Jesus said marriage should be taken very seriously. It's a matter of the heart, and we ought to be fighting for our marriages with everything that we have. And Paul's saying, yes, and if you're married to an unbeliever, keep being faithful to Jesus because that soul might be saved because of how God works through you to teach them the gospel, to share the gospel with you. But then Paul says, but if, if you're set loose, if you're set loose by your unbelieving spouse, and you go and you remarry, it's, it's not sin for you to do that. It's not sin for you to do that. We have marriages in this church that they had one maybe when they were young or something changed about the situation or spouse or health concerns. And there was a divorce that took place and God led them to somebody and they have a wonderful, beautiful marriage of beautiful kids and all these things happening. And I'm not about to look at them and say, yeah, but you're sinning every single day. You sleep with your spouse. I believe that God redeems those moments. Now, you may have had some sin in the divorce situation. I don't, I don't know every situation. There may have been sin in your life where you shouldn't have said this or should have done this or maybe acted too quickly on this. But this is what I know about God. He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. So whatever's happened a second ago is the farthest point of time away. And you can't undo a bunch of stuff. If you're remarried, you don't just get divorced to go try to reconcile, and that's just making matters a whole lot worse, is it not? We need to look at the situation that we're in now and say, what does my life and my heart look like when it comes to following and believing and knowing Jesus? What does it look like now for my marriage to disciple my spouse well, to disciple my kids well, and to be faithful unto death in the marriage relationship that God has led you to now? And if your heart is like heavy because there is divorce in your background, in your life, and if you think Andy's judging you for that or calling it sin, erase all that from your mind because the fact is, again, that God's grace is sufficient for all of us. And it doesn't matter where you were, it only matters where you are. And where you are is in a place where you can say, I'm all in with Jesus or I'm not. You get to make that decision. You get to make that decision. God doesn't want us to live with guilt through all of our life. Satan wants that for you. And so let go of that. Let go of that. Enjoy the spouse that God has given you and live till death do you part. Fighting for it every second, tooth and nail. If something changes about the relationship and one's a believer and one's unbeliever, stick with it. Stick with it because you never know how God may work. I'm over my time. So... I'm going to say this real quick. My marriage is over. What do I do? Three quick things for if your marriage is on the rocks, you don't see any recovery coming, you have sought counseling, you have sought everything, and you're like, don't know what to do. One, focus on your relationship with Jesus. Take a step back and focus on where you are with Jesus. Because if you're right with Jesus, and maybe your spouse, who you're on the rocks with, decides that they want to seek Jesus, Jesus can do amazing things. So focus on your relationship with him first. Secondly, prayer, prayer, and more prayer. Um, If you're thinking about leaving your marriage, I would encourage you, not until you fast and pray uh, at least 24 hours, if not multiple days, and just seeking God and saying, Lord, this is my situation. What do I do about this? Or if the marriage is already over and divorce papers have been signed and you're sitting there as a single person, pray, 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 pray. Ask other people to pray with you and for you so that healing might happen. And the last one is don't go hunting, go healing. Don't go hunting, go healing. So many people want to jump right into another relationship right away. And now you're sitting there saying, well, Andy said I could. He said it wasn't sin. And that's not what Andy said, all right? We don't need to just jump into another relationship right away. We need to heal. I also say this, if you are a divorced person, you're single, and you're hoping for another relationship and one that God would lead you to, um, don't rely on your own wisdom, your own understanding, and your own desires. All right? These relationships start because we're physically attracted. Be in community with other believers And after the second date, if you think, "Wow, I kind of like her. I kind of like him. Go to your friends and say, I want you to meet this person because I need you to see what I don't see because I'm just like, wah! Right? We need people in our life that will speak truth and listen to them. Don't just go running into something when you need to take some time to heal. I'm skipping the last point in your outline. It wasn't important anyway. All right. Um, Here's what's going to happen when I challenge you with. All right. Um, One. Fight for your marriage. And if you have trouble, if you're struggling right now, please come and see me. Make an appointment, if you will. Whatever. I'm wide open to talking with you about this and trying to figure out how we save marriages. But if you're in a situation where you are divorced and you can't undo that, let's just pray together. Let's figure out what God has in mind for you next. And if you've been divorced and you've remarried and you've got this guilt or you're hanging on to something, let it go. Just let it go. Because God's bigger than that. And he can take care of that for you. I'm going to go baptize three people right now, which is awesome. I love it. And uh, I'm already going to have my swimsuit on. The water's already going to be there. And so if the Holy Spirit is nudging you to say today is the day for you to surrender your life to Jesus, to unite with him in his death, in his burial, so that you can have a resurrection like his as well. I would encourage you to come. Mark and Robin will be over there receiving people. And I'll be up there. And the band will be up here playing. We're just going to have an awesome time. All right? Celebrating the great, great graciousness of our holy creator, God. Amen? All right. Stand up with me and let's pray. Worship team, come on up. Father, you are awesome and holy. Father, Lord, I pray for those that have been divorced and remarried. they're trying to figure out what that looks like and just how their relationship with you is. And, Father, I pray that you would relieve them of any guilt or anxiety that they may be feeling. And know that you are bigger than that, that your grace is sufficient for them. Father, I pray for those who are single, whether it's single again or single still, that if you have in mind for them to meet someone, that they would have their eyes open for someone who is more like Jesus and less like the world. And that, Father, we would be wise when it comes to those relationships And Father, for the marriages in this room, I pray that you would help us each and every day to just fight for a great marriage. And one in which nothing will come between us. Acknowledging that you're the one that brought us together. And we stick with it and endure to the end, Lord God. Because marriage is wonderful. And you're a great God that gave it to us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.